0: camped out this morning. I want to first thank Pastor Creston for his, I might say, pulpit hospitality. On behalf of the Reformed Baptist Church of Louisville, I want to extend our um, warmest greetings to you all. Know that we pray for you from time to time in our prayer meeting. We pray for things like uh, the the word of the Lord to speed forward, to be glorified and honored in your midst. Um, for the progress of the gospel, for the Lord to plant a lampstand that's going to be here until Jesus returns, Amen. that would impact not only this community, yes. but the communities in this state, in this nation, in this world. For the Lord has called his people to multiply, right? To make disciples, to make disciples to the ends of the world until Jesus comes back to get them and take them to be with them. So I consider it my great privilege to bring you the, Lord, the Lord's word this morning. Uh, let's turn to chapter 12 of Luke, starting at verse 22, and I'll read all the way through verse 34. And he, that, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, King Solomon, Well, let me pray once again for our time in God's Word together. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come before the living God who knows all things, the hairs of our heads. He knows the cares of our hearts. He knows our needs. And he, he, he promises to meet those needs. Father, we thank you that Uh, As lowly a people as we are And as great as you are That you care for us in this way Lord And I pray that the way that Your word goes forward to us Would be a manifestation of your care for us Help me Lord to preach your word With faithfulness With clarity, with love And Lord use me to help Your people to grow In Jesus name, Amen Well um, You don't have to do this But if you'd like to Go ahead and raise your hand if you know what it's like to feel worried. I'll go ahead and raise my hand as well. I've said that to comfort us because it helps us to be reminded that we're not in this alone. We're not the only ones out there who are anxious and who worry sometimes. Anxiety can feel that way. It can isolate us. But it's helpful to know that we're not in this fight alone. But I us to turn your attention to Luke chapter 12. Verses twenty-two and thirty through thirty-four to show you how you're not alone when we look to heaven. We're not alone in our fight with anxiety, which can be really difficult at times, because the Lord is there for us. He has spoken to us in his word, and that shows us his his mind, his mindfulness toward us, his love, his concern, his compassion. Anxiety is a feeling that it can feel like we're in chains. It can feel like there's no way of escape. Like we're in bondage to a formidable foe. But an even more formidable foe to it toward anxiety, our Lord Jesus Christ deals with this foe in his word. Has conquered ultimately this foe in the gospel. And he's bringing healing one day where we'll know that feeling no more in the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to know this morning that there is hope for you For your anxious heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the subject we turn today. We can come to this subject. I know what it's like to feel this. We can feel like I don't even want to talk about that subject because it makes me anxious just thinking about it. But we can come to this subject this morning because the Lord is with us. The Holy Spirit helps us. And he's spoken to us in his word about it. So we can come with much hope. I want to first give a little bit of of a context to this passage. Right before this passage was the parable of the rich fool, and that's going to be important to remember, and I'm going to come back to that in our exposition. So it's, it's actually in that same dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. There's another man there at one point. It's a continuation of that. What, what's going on there in the parable of the rich fool and that conversation there. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to die for our sins on the cross and be resurrected and and ascended into glory. He's preparing his disciples here and throughout Luke for the time when he'll depart from them. He's preparing them to live for the kingdom. He's instructing their hearts and their minds, getting them ready, preparing their minds for action, right? Preparing their minds for action for kingdom business. Even as he ascends, he sends the spirit and says, I'm going to help you. And here's some tips that you're going to need. As you seek the kingdom. So first consider our main, our first main point. Don't worry about your life or your body. That comes from verses 22 to 23. And if I ever become too silent, just raise your hand or give me a this and I'll be sure to speak up just to, just to get that out there. Here are verses 22 and 23. And he said to his disciples... Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the command itself. In the bulletin, you'll see that I originally titled this, Don't Worry About Your Life. Further study caused me to make a minor adjustment to this point. Where I said, don't worry about your life or your body. So here the Lord is calling us, his disciples, not to worry about their life. And when he says that, he explains it right there. Do you see it in the text? He says, don't be anxious about your life, comma, what you will eat. So what he means when he says, don't be anxious about your life. He means to say, don't be anxious about what you need to, to sustain your life. That is your needed food. And when the Lord says, don't be anxious about your body, he's, it's comma, what you will put on. So when he's talking about the body, he's talking about our clothing, particularly there. So he's talking about life, body, food, clothing. That reminds me of the scripture that um, our brother read this morning, Philippians 4, 6, which commands us not to be anxious about anything. But here it's a little bit more specific than that. It's don't be anxious about your life or your body, your necessary food and your clothing. And we're going to see why here shortly. Unfortunately for us as his disciples, as we will see, it's all too easy for us when we're hearing the Lord calling us to live for this kingdom that he's been teaching them about. He knows, first of all, they're anxious that I'm going to depart from them. What are we going to do when Jesus isn't around? But also, here, he's calling them to a, the rich fool. Don't be like this guy. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. And they're, their hearts are like, well, what about my needs? If I'm going to be so generous for the sake of the kingdom, what about my needs? Are my needs going to be met? Is food? If I'm providing food for others, is food going to be met on my table? If I'm clothing this this homeless person or this needy child, am I going to have clothes that I need? And the Lord says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, even as I'm calling you to such kingdom mission. Lay up treasures not on earth, but in heaven. Think a minute here. Let this text minister to our anxious hearts. Think about the Lord of glory, the king of kings, the creator of the cosmos, our savior, mindful of you, brother or sister, boy or girl, mindful enough of you to say, don't be anxious about even those small things. You see his humility in that he's not just focused on the biggest things in our lives He knows and cares about the smallest things in our lives. Next, we're going to take a step back a little bit. Consider the the therefore connection. Preachers will tell us when you see a therefore, I'm sure you've heard Brother Preston say this before. When you see a therefore, you've got to ask, what is it (laughs) therefore? Have you heard that? Preachers remind us that, and we want to remind us of that, and we want to think to ourselves, why is it therefore? And I've already alluded to this. This therefore is connecting our passage back to what just came before it. He's connecting this to the the parable of the covetous rich fool and that discussion there of covetousness. And he's saying, I've taught you about covetousness. I've taught you not to lay up treasures on earth. I've just said in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life nor your body. I want to run down briefly what went on there in that passage so that we can understand the therefore and where this passage we're in this morning is headed. In Luke 12, 13 through 21, you can your eyes can follow along in the text. I'm just going to run through it. There's someone in a crowd who says to him and you can see that he knew Jesus was personable enough to even come to him. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You see how this man at least understands that the Lord is a figure of authority, and he thinks that his brother will will submit to what Jesus tells him to do. But more important for our purposes, you've got to see this man's covetousness. He's saying, My brother's got this inheritance, it's rightfully his, but I want a piece of it. And he's asking Jesus, the authoritative preacher, tell this man to give me some of that. You know, he didn't have it by birthright, but he said, I want some of it for myself. And you see our Lord quickly just turned to his disciples and he makes a lesson of it. He says to them, oh, I'm sorry. He's, he does tell the man in verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he turns to his disciples and says, take care. He makes a lesson of it. Our Lord was a wise teacher, right? He still is. He teaches us in, the, in, in our lives moment by moment. He says here, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Covetousness, that desire for just a portion of what doesn't belong to you. Think about the Ten Commandments. Don't covet what? Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's ride, his donkey back in the day. Now it's Harley's and all that. Your neighbor's ride, your neighbor's servant, your neighbor's inheritance. Anything that belongs to your neighbor, don't covet it. And the Lord sees that in the man's heart. And he turns to his disciples and says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And then the parable of the rich fool comes next to further explain what Jesus meant by don't be covetous. He told them a parable, verse 16 and following. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see how the man is just focused on himself. Mm -hmm. I got all this abundance. What should I do with it? He doesn't even think once about how he can provide for the needs of others in his life. He just says, you know what? I've got a pretty good opportunity to lay up treasure on earth for myself. So I can, be, I can be at ease. I cannot worry. You know, his confidence, his peace, his rest was found not in a father in heaven who promised to provide every one of his needs. But his, his confidence came in the size of his barn. How he stored up. He was his own father, so to speak. He was his own God. He, he thought of himself as the one who would provide for him. He didn't rely on God for such. And then God says to him, he wakes him up and says, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Then is the final remark, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So in verse 22, the text says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, do you see how that's connected to what came before it? he's, He's telling them, I'm not calling you to live to lay up treasures in heaven. I'm not calling you to live to primarily be worried about how you're going to store up for yourself sustenance for the future. But I'm calling you to lay down your life for the kingdom. We're going to see that. And he's telling them, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. After all, the substance of what life is all about, especially for the child of God, is not primarily about material possessions. God's got that. It's about serving Christ, serving others, living for his kingdom. And Jesus is saying, don't put too high of a value. Don't worry too much about food and clothing. We're going to see that the Father's got that covered. How is, how is anxiety in our text? That's the topic. How is it related to covetousness? I think I've alluded to it. Underneath the, the covetousness in the human heart and underneath the anxiety in the human heart lies the unbelief of the human heart. So unbelief is what connects these two passages together. This rich fool didn't believe in God, so he thought, i got to take care of myself. And the anxious man who would be worried about what they're going to eat or drink or wear If we're we're feeling that way, we're not trusting in the Father the way that we ought, and we're thinking that we need to do more than we really need to. Not that we don't work, but the Lord is calling us to a trust, even as we live out God's will in our lives. Last, under this first heading, hear the ground for the command not to be anxious about food, and clothing 23 says for life is more than food and the body more than clothing the reason given here for not being anxious about our food and our clothing is that life is more than that it's more than prime rib and nike it's more than our next meal dining fancy or maintaining the trendy wardrobe we're going to see it's about living for the kingdom amen He wants to take our primary attention, our chief concerns off those things, which he's going to say, God's got you. He's got your back. The Lord is telling us we can chill in our emotions and our actions. It doesn't mean be totally inactive. We know that, but we can chill and we can let anxiety roll off our back. As some say, because the father is not chill about providing for every need of ours as we follow His Son. The second main point, based on verses 24 through 30, is combat anxiety with right thinking. That also connects with Philippians 4. Whatever is true, honorable, just, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about what's true. And here the Lord is telling you, it's true that you've got a Father in Heaven. And He loves you. And we're going to see that here. The devil might come and say, be anxious about your life. But the Lord Jesus comes gently to our heart and to our mind and says, don't be anxious, dear child, because I'm good. I'll go ahead and tell you that the reasons why you don't need to be in verses 24 through 30. We're seeing the Lord teach the disciples that the way to combat anxiety is through right thinking about their heavenly father's provision and care, yes. And the kids, all the kids in here, could tell you their their father or that 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 uh, the, the the figure in their life that provides for them, it brings them security. They don't even they don't. If they have security, they don't. They're probably so used to it. And if they didn't have it, they would really feel it. But we can feel perfectly secure. In verse twenty three, the Lord grounds the reason for why they don't need to be anxious. And then what comes here? And verse twenty-four through thirty is a further explanation of that. You see that he said, "Don't be anxious, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing." And he's going to say, "Consider the ravens, consider the lilies." What the ravens is going to say, and yet God feeds them. You see that connection to food in verse twenty-three. Don't be uh, life is more than food. God feeds the ravens. Look at twenty-three again. The body is more than clothing. Consider the lilies. God so clothes the grass. That's, that's how it, it's, it's explaining more fully what he means there in verse 23 when he talks about consider the lilies, consider the ravens. All the nations do this and your father knows. But let's walk through this verse by verse. Consider the ravens. I take verses 24 through 26 as a whole to be about either the ravens or an application of concern. Based on the ravens. 24 through 26 say, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? First, consider the ravens. We need to learn something, the Lord is telling us, about why we don't need to be anxious, particularly here about our food, by looking to the raven. Consider what the raven doesn't do, what he doesn't have. The the Lord says, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Do you see the connection there to the rich fool? He was an agricultural Figure. He, had, he, he had a smaller barns and he needed a big builder barns. Jesus says the ravens have neither storehouse nor barn. The rich fool thought that barns would lead to lead to provision and rest. But the Lord is teaching us through the raven that God leads to provision and rest. The rich man didn't have rest in his heart until he thought he had his future secured by his own effort. But the Christian can have rest in their heart, knowing that the Father has our future secure. He knows everything. He's got what? Think about the attributes of God. He's omniscient. He knows everything we need. He's omnipotent. He has the all power to do anything for us that we need. He can intervene in any way. I'm sure our brother Creston could tell you some stories from church history of the Lord just meeting needs where people couldn't do it themselves, like George Mueller with the orphanage. They prayed, and the Lord would... They would be praying, and he... I think there's a story where George Mueller takes some of the orphans to side, and basically is like, let's thank the Lord for the meal that he's going to provide for us. And there wasn't anything in the refrigerator. And then the door... Somebody knocks on the door, and I think it's tr- like maybe a milk truck or something. I, I think it's something like that, where they, you know... It was, you know, it was on the road, and the, the truck died, and they're like, "We got all this. Can you use it?" Thanks, Lord. <laughs> the Lord knows, and He has the power to provide, and He'll even use means, like in that story. He'll use our brothers and sisters. He'll use even unbelieving, you know, services. The poorest in this in this city, in this town, can go to a store so i don't know if there's a goodwill or anything like that but think about the lord's provision even in that for people that aren't his children he provides and he especially does for his children consider what the raven does have even though the raven has no no storehouse nor barn they don't sow or reap crops but they have a god who is mindful to feed them that's right there in the text it says the lord says and yet God feeds them. Ravens teach us God's provision of food. And they teach us about God's provision of food. And as I said earlier, it connects back to 23, which spoke about food. And the Lord's going to apply the raven to your life where he says in verse 24, do you see it? Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than the birds? There's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God provides for the lesser, the raven, he's going to provide for you, the greater, the human, the one made in his image. But not more than that, the one made in his image who's been washed by the blood of his son, Jesus. Amen. Wrong page here. Excuse me. Verse 25 through 26. Continue to apply the raven even more, saying, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? We were in the car, actually, yesterday, and this was a point in which I wasn't quite sure how these verses related to what was around it. The raven, the lily is, it, is the Lord just adding some more about anxiety Is this related to the raven um, I'm sorry, yeah, the raven Argument And I, I had my, Kaylee was driving I had my eyes closed, she's like, what are you doing i was like, I'm praying, she's like, about what I'm like, for light on this I, I want to understand better this text And then And, and for strength, so I was pretty tired As much study as weariness of the flesh And I, I think the Lord gave me light I think that this text here is applying, it's further applying. It's a, here's the raven, therefore why be anxious? Can you add add a single hour to your span of life by being anxious? Can you provide for yourself a single hour? God has every hour planned for you. If you are not able to do, do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't store up a single hour with your anxiety. So be as the raven and trust the Father to provide for you today, tomorrow, and so on. The raven doesn't anxiously toil in reaping or sowing or storing up for her future, which is a picture of how we don't need to anxiously toil to have our needs met. We toil, we work. The Bible says "If you, the one who does not work shall not eat. So it's important to work and to pray for the Lord to provide work. But we don't want to be anxious in our toils. The Bible talks about anxious toil. You don't need to be consumed by your material needs because you have a father who is mindful of the the raven and he's mindful of you. Next, consider the lilies. Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory. That you need them. Consider the lilies, brothers and sisters, how they grow. The Lord says they neither toil nor spin. I think he wants us to see they don't anxiously toil as if their growth, their clothing, their beauty. Hear that? The, they don't wear a suit, right? Kids could tell you that in their science class. They don't learn that lilies actually wear like, you know, Brooks Brothers or something. But the clothing there is their beauty. They're, they're beautiful to the eye. The Lord has made them glorious in that way. Even gl- more glorious than King Solomon, who had all these riches. He had all this wisdom. They, were more, they are more glorious than him. Yet they're so small. Mm. Now hear that application again. As with the ravens, with the food, here it's the lilies with the clothing. If God so clothes the grass... Which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. His lifespan is much less than yours. They're only here for a short time. How much more will He clothe you, child of God, human being made in His image, purchased by Jesus? Amen. The point is that the Father will provide your necessary clothes. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the most expensive clothes, but He will provide you your necessary clothes as you live. As you clothe yourself with humility and live according to the cross and seek the kingdom, the Father says, I got your back. I've got your clothes. I got your necessary food. Verses 29 through 30 say, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows. Do you see that? Your Father knows that you need them. The raven does not sow seed, nor reap a harvest. The lily does not toil or spin, yet God feeds the raven, and he clothes the lily. The Lord said, aren't you of much more value than they? There's, in a sense, there's a picture here of of the passive reception of what God gives. Like I said earlier, it doesn't mean we don't work to provide for ourselves. But there's a sense in which, most fundamentally, the provision is coming from our Father in heaven. Where we 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 receive. What did the Lord? What, what's that prayer? Um, the portion of the of the Lord's prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Amen. we he, He's the giver, and we're the receiver. He's the Tom Brady, and we're the what's that guy's name? Ah. Um. Anyway, he, he's one of the receivers on the Patriots back in the day. Or we're the, one of the receivers that catch it, the ball. He's the one who sends the ball to us, so to speak. Good example. Thank you. What is Wes Gronkowski. Gronkowski. That's what I was thinking of. All the of names. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't remember. God's got our backs. We're commanded not to seek what we are to eat or what we are to drink. And what the Lord is saying there doesn't mean don't go to a water fountain, don't seek what you're going to drink, don't go to McDonald's, don't seek what you're to eat. That's not what he means. Look at the text. He says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. I think what he's saying here is, you see how the the word there, don't seek, and and then he says in 30, the world seeks. I think what he's saying is, don't seek them as such a high priority like the world does. Like the, like the rich fool who had his mind only on material things and his provision. Don't seek that in that way. Bring it down here. The Lord here is saying, I want to free you. I want you to be freed in your thinking and your living. I want you to be able to seek the glory of God in the advancement of the gospel." I want you to serve the poor and the needy, not afraid that your needs won't be met. Mm. I want you to know that the, necess- the, the bare necessities of your life, your sustenance, your food, the clothes that you need as you go to the ends of the earth with the gospel are going to be provided for you. And this frees us. This Knowing this truth frees us to seek the kingdom because that excuse that our needs aren't going to be met if we live this way goes out the window. Moreover, consider your father. The Lord says, "All the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them." I alluded to it earlier. This this points us in the direction of that doctrine of the omniscience of God, omniscience, all knowledge. And I have a quote here about that from A.W. Pink who wrote this God is omniscient. He knows everything. Everything possible. Everything actual. All events. All creatures. God, the past, the present, and future. I think he's saying God is there. He's always there. He knows it. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. This doctrine is a terror to the unbeliever, but it's a great comfort to the Christian. He he quotes Daniel 2.22. He knoweth what is in the darkness. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. Well, may we say with the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. His knowledge is perfect. He never errs, never changes. I love these last three words. Never overlooks anything. That includes those things he understands to be the needs in your life. As you follow Jesus, the Father never overlooks any one of your true needs. Sometimes we can think something that we really want is a need, but the Father knows exactly what we need, and he's going to give it to us every single time. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every calorie that we need. He knows every shirt that our family needs for the closet. Let me ask you this Are you trusting the Father this morning to provide for your needs? Do you believe He loves and cares for you? Have you ever come to know this love and care? If you're here this morning and haven't yet known this love and care, Maybe you know the care of an earthly father, but you haven't yet learned the care of a heavenly father. If not, do you know that you can call on the name of the Lord Jesus and receive this love through the salvation from our sins freely offered to us in the gospel of Christ? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's consider our third main point, a command with a promise. Verse 31, here's another one of those um, words which connects what he's going to say with what just came before it. Earlier it was therefore, now it's instead. Don't be like the nations, he says. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Hmm. So within the context of this discussion about your most basic needs, while you live for the kingdom of Christ, here hear with obedience and receive by faith this command. Instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. The point is, your father promises to meet every need of yours as you live for the kingdom of his son. He equips you in every one of your needs. But who, do, who is this promise for? It's for the Christian. It's it's for the Christian seeking first the kingdom. I like what J.C. Ryle said about this question. He says, the man to whom this promise before us belongs is the Christian who gives to the things of God their right order and their right place. He does not neglect the worldly duties of his station. We talked about that. He doesn't neglect his work and those duties. He's not a monk. But he regards them as of infinitely less importance than the requirements of God. He does not omit due attention to his temporal affairs, but he looks on them as of far less moment. I I guess he means importance. Important there. We don't use that term anymore. He regards those things as far less important than the affairs of his soul. This is the man to whom Jesus says, All these things shall be added to thee. Brothers and sisters, remember to whom you belong. Remember who your father is. Remember he will provide for you as you serve Christ, even to the very end. And then, what does the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount say about the meek? The meek will inherit the world. Amen. So he's going to provide for you now and you become an inheritor of the whole world where you will reign and rule with Christ forever. The Lord in all this gives us the promise that God will make those most basic need of yours if you are a true follower of his son. I couldn't help myself but to quote my my favorite artist, Shai Lin, at this point in this sermon, his 2017 song, Supreme. He put it this way. He's beyond phenomenon, you see. The father of cosmology. The Abba of astronomy. He's potter. We are pottery. It's shocking. Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me. And constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees. Our brother Shai here emphasizes that the provision in his life ultimately doesn't rest on him. He's not like the rich fool. It ultimately rests on God. And what's true for our brother Shai who penned these words is true for all of us in Christ. The promise of provision doesn't ultimately rest upon our shoulders, but on the shoulders of an almighty God. Amen. And isn't that a comfort to you this morning? Yes. Or does our pride actually wage war against such a gift? Let's, let's not do that. Let's not be so proud that we don't want to receive from the Father. Hmm. But be proud to have a Heavenly Father. Yes. Seek first His kingdom and all these things. Food, clothing will be added to you. It's as Paul said, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And Paul went on to say, If I have food and clothing, I'll be content. So echo these words to yourself. Remind yourself of them regularly. While I seek first the kingdom of God, preach to yourself, While I seek first the kingdom, I can rest on God to meet all my needs as he sees fit. And as I serve the Lord, I can and I will be content. Point four, our last point. All of this discussion leads to here that there's no fear needed on kingdom mission. If we have a father, we don't need to have fear. 32 through 34, read this way. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth, but actually sell your possessions. And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. There's security there that isn't on this earth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So fourth and last, remember and be freed by this truth this morning, that no fear is needed on kingdom mission for you. If all your needs are promised to be met by God, you can feel great freedom, the Lord is telling us here, to be even a generous giver. Because you know that your needs are going to be met, therefore you can meet the needs of those around you. Even those who don't have this Father in heaven, Isn't that beautiful that the Father loves us and others enough to say, I'm going to meet your needs so you can overflow and even meet the needs of those people who aren't yet my child, aren't yet my sons and daughters. Because the Father will provide my basic needs, I can seek his kingdom first. And in that, focus on meeting the needs of those even giving a cold cup of water in Jesus' name. So this gift of the kingdom Doesn't ultimately rest on us, but on God. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You can't help but think of of God's sovereignty in that. Just saying, I want to give you the kingdom. And I gave you my son to give you the kingdom. Mm. Perfect love casts out fear here. And such freedom from fear, fear not, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Such a freedom from fear here frees us to do what he says in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Like I've said several times, because we've been freely loved, we can freely give. Mm. The best and wisest investment for a never-ending and glorious future that's ours in Christ is to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Yes. But why does the way we steward our material goods matter? Whether we're the wealthiest guy in town or the poorest guy in town. If you're in Christ, the Father says to you, I'm going to meet your needs. But he also says, have an eye for the needs of the others. Even if you're the poorest person in town, think about how can I bless others? Even with, if I don't have a lot, I can still give what I got, you know? I can give my time, myself, of myself, my ear. The reason that we should steward our goods in the way the Lord is telling us is this. In verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm. Here, this means where your money is. You see in the context, sell your possessions, give to the needy. And in so doing, you're laying up money bags in heaven, a treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, invested in the kingdom, you're laying up treasure in heaven. There your heart will follow. So what he's saying is if we want to be people of the kingdom, we got to invest. We've got to follow this principle. We've got to invest our time, our resources, our talents, our prayers, our, our talents in this, in this kingdom. Where our treasure is, even here, most, um, most specifically in the context, he is talking about our, our monetary, our physical resources. Sell your possessions and Give. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the way that we remain and we become kingdom people is by following, allowing our heart to follow our treasure that we invest toward the kingdom. Mm. If we invest our money, let's just talk about money because that's what he's talking about here. If we sell our possessions to downsize so we can give, but we end up turning that money and we give it to the lottery or we give it to um, other even good things. You know, but that aren't kingdom-focused things. Our heart is going to follow where we invest. And the Lord wants our hearts to be about His kingdom, so He's telling us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lay up treasures for the kingdom, not for the earth. Be wise. Prayerfully think about this investment. It matters, because our heart's going to follow. But because of Jesus' love and our Father's promise of provision, We can live freely for the kingdom of God. Even when we give generously, God will supply every one of our needs. I want to go back as we begin to wrap things down to Philippians chapter 4, where Paul tells the Philippians, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. I just want to point out to you that there Paul is actually talking to them in the context of their being generous givers. So he's telling them, you've given to me, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. You, 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 Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. And he says, you sent me a gift to help my needs. I've received payment and more. I'm well supplied because of the gifts that you sent through Epaphroditus It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing to God. And then so do you see that in the context of their giving? They're being generous, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. That's the context of that verse. So we're called by the Lord to live the opposite of the covetous rich fool. We're called to live for his kingdom as the wise man whose generosity makes us rich and heavenly, rewards laid up for us. We don't need to worry because our Father promises and is more than able to meet every one of our needs along the way. So to conclude, let's review the outline tonight. The first point was don't worry about your life or your body. Why? Because life is more than that. Combat anxiety with right thinking Your father provides for the raven and the lily. You're greater than that. and He's going to provide for you. The command with the promise, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And then the application really of all that. There's no fear needed on kingdom mission. If you have a father, you don't need to have fear as you follow faithfully his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there's not time for me to talk about all the different ways you hear in this context And Pine Bluff should apply this. You all know this context a lot better than I do. And I know your pastor, Creston, is is already leading you guys and thinking about how you can serve Christ here. But I can conclude with a few applications just based on my knowledge of the text. The first one is, turn your attention from the anxieties that plague you to the kingdom business which God is calling you. Mm. Turn your attention from the anxieties that plague you To the kingdom business to which God is calling you. There's healing in our focusing not upon ourselves, but upon God's kingdom and others. It's actually, it's freeing us from anxiety. Because in in, in sinful anxiety, we're focused so much on ourselves and not on God and other people. Kingdom work fixes our gaze where it needs to be there. Second, lay up treasures in heaven. We cannot know now the glorious reward. That awaits the faithful. I look around here. Um, and I see a band of, of disciples. It seems it's kind of like Jesus with his original 12. And he started off with 12. And it's, 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 been, it's been, you know, the church isn't perfect. And there's more work to be done in the world. But think about how many Christians there are just now. And the fruit that the Lord started just through that original 12. Mm-hmm. And just let your imagination, inspired by your faith, think about... What the Lord can do with you as a faithful band of followers, even if you're just 12 that start off or so, and, and, and you serve here, you make that one, that one guy gets converted, and he moves to that neighborhood, and he tells the gospel, and in his life, 10 people get saved, and they go throughout the world. And think about even if just one person from the, in their lives got saved, and then so on and so on. Think about how the Lord can use even our most meager efforts, we, you won't, you cannot know the glorious reward that awaits the faithful. Third, be comforted by knowing that not all anxiety is sinful. I wanted to say that because I know what it's like to be anxious, and sometimes there is a need to see a doctor to talk about maybe there's some medication, an imbalance that needs to be dealt with. So don't hear the don't hear. I know that the, through my own experience, I know the anxious soul can read a thing like. A command of don't be anxious. And if there is something physical going on, they can be burdened, thinking, I'm just sinning all the time. But really, there could be a medical thing going on. Fourth, we can be generous even while being in need ourselves. You can look to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2 for that, for an example of that. And last, true peace is only found in Jesus. So if you're not yet in Christ this morning, I want you to see the benefits of salvation in Christ. A father who promises to meet every one of your needs, who dealt with your greatest need on that cross 2,000 years ago where your sin was put away. True peace, true eternal heavenly reward rather than an eternal punishment in hell for our sins is what awaits those who come to Jesus today. So why not begin? And then if you are in Christ, why not keep following him? Because the father's got your back he's got your table, he knows your needs, and he'll use you for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to our hearts this